0: Was the terminal mile before Christmas, and falling in line with the season and all, I thought this would be the perfect time to present you with both the gifts of reflection. And the Pride of the Six. This week's show is packed with great stuff, so let's jump right into it. We have 1,500 meter runner and true advocate Kate Van Buskirk up first. We chat about what it means to be fast and female in the 21st century, tackling issues of equality, leadership, and being body positive. And also back on the show after taking second at NCAA Cross this year, Syracuse Orangeman and proud Torontonian Justin Knight and I sit down for our annual chat. Don't go anywhere, you're listening to The Terminal Mile, a tracky radio production. Kate Van Buskirk is a noted 1500 meter runner, but lately you've probably seen her around in videos and in print talking about the place for females in athletics. I caught up with her this week to tackle this big issue. All right, I have to say that I've seen you, you know, in a whole bunch of places as of late in print, uh, in video, uh, just just all over the place um, bringing this message to the masses. And one of the things I saw was a video that you did for I Run with Lanny Marchand where you talked about body positive messaging, or you mentioned it at least. I, I was just wondering if you could maybe give me a brief explanation of, of just what that is to you and how do we begin to incorporate it into our sport?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think that um, body positive imaging um, is something that needs to be directed at uh, first of all both men and women girls and boys I think that it's a you know we talk a lot about this in the context of of young girls and I think that's an important conversation um, in itself but I think it does need to sort of um, affect both both genders Um, and I think that it comes down to seeing your body as something that can be um, powerful and that's yours that you have control over um, that can be a great tool for you as opposed to being under the constraints of Um, what others, maybe, you know, sort of societal views or or cultural norms dictate uh, you should do. So I think that unfortunately a lot of the imaging and the messaging that we receive is about the way that um, bodies look as opposed to what their function and their potential are. Um, so I think that the biggest shift in my mind that could happen towards making things more positive would be, um, talking about, yeah, what, what a body is capable of, what it means to feel fit and healthy and strong and powerful and, um, to do those in sustainable ways rather than, um, fixating on, on the way that certain body parts look, or, um, again, you know, talking about targeting towards women, um, talking about, um, going to a gym to be able to fit into a dress or something like that. Um, I think that being able to acknowledge that body types are very different and that health and fitness and strength can be manifested in a lot of different ways um, and celebrate that as opposed to trying to um, direct particularly young girls and boys into specific body types that are idealized and unsustainable and and unattainable um, would be a really good step.
0: So I, have seen it in, in a whole bunch of, of different ways, but do you think that, uh, you know, perhaps those schemes that you, uh, describe of perhaps what a runner looks like or, or what, uh, a female should like look like, or what a male should look like, do you think that is holding people back from, from entering into sports in general or, or maybe even our sport?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because we're we're living in an era right now that is pretty much, um, I think, it's very much a gym culture, right? So we've seen a shift, I'd say, in the last 10 years or so towards, you know, this explosion of CrossFit and and um, gym attendance and, and lifting. And um, you started seeing hashtags like uh, strong is a new skinny and um, fitspiration and all these kinds of um, seemingly really positive messaging. And mm-hmm. I think there is some positivity in that. Um, again, I think, unfortunately, whether it be skinny or muscular, um, a lot of the way that we talk about, um, bodies and, and sort of revere them has to do with how they look. So, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to, um, selling products and selling magazines. Um, I have a huge problem with a lot of so-called fitness magazines, particularly targeted towards women. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, yeah, talk about how to lose your belly fat or how to lose five pounds or how to fit into a bikini. And the reality is, unfortunately, that's what sells, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think that if if the, the headlines that we saw when standing in line at the grocery store were um, how to feel good, and then the article was, <laughs> find physical activity that you enjoy and do it four or five times a week and get lots of sleep and eat local fruits and vegetables and drink lots of water. Like, That is so simple and it's it's effective, but it wouldn't sell magazines because people want a quick fix and they want um, sort of they they want to look the way that uh, that a lot of these models look. And um, I think that's really unhealthy, especially in a society where we're already having a hard time, particularly keeping young women involved in sport. Um, I think that there, there there's a shift that occurs sometime in high school, you know, right around that critical point of puberty um, where women's bodies are changing, girls' bodies are changing, and um, perhaps they're moving away from sport and into other kind of social poles, or they start seeing exercise as something they have to do and it's a chore instead of something that they really enjoy doing. And that just sets you up for it not being sustainable and not being enjoyable. Um, I think that any time physical activity is seen as something you have to do instead of something you really love, um, it's it's just a negative thing in general.
0: For sure, for sure. You You mentioned how... Um, there, there comes a point in, in, a, in a lot of uh, girls and women's life where, where you know, they kind of see sport as a, as a chore and you know, not something that, that they necessarily want to do. Um, it kind of leads into my next point. You, you also mentioned in that video that you'd like to see more women in, in broadcasts and in media jobs as far as sports goes. What impact do you think that would have on the sport and, and how would we go about having uh, those female voices in sport?
1: Yeah, I think that that is critical, um, you know, so and I think that it's fairly nuanced. So it's a difficult question to answer directly. Um, so I'm I'm definitely someone who's interested in in broadcasting and in sports casting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, to be honest, I think that not only do we need more women in media positions doing the coverage, we also need a shift in terms of what we're covering so, when you turn on TSN, um, you're going to be, and I can't even really accurately guess at the percentage, but I'm going to guess probably around 90% male-dominated sports coverage, right? Mm-hmm. So, all of the pro sports, um, all men all the time, and even if it's women covering them, which is which is a good step in the right direction, um, it's, still, it's still male-dominant. And I would say that the audience is still male-dominant. And so, I think one of the big shifts that needs to happen is we need more coverage of women in sport, and we need more coverage by women of women in sport, Um, just from a general interest perspective. (laughs) And then from a representation perspective, right? So um, little boys, I think, are way more likely to grow up aspiring to be um, the next Wayne Gretzky or the the next professional um, football, basketball, baseball player than the average young girl is going to because they just don't see themselves represented at that level. And then, of course, every four years, the Olympics comes around and and we cover a lot more women. And that's great. And this year, you know, the women kicked ass and we dominated and we brought home the most medals and we Mm -hmm. were the more highly represented gender at the Games. But even then, coverage of of the women um, was, I think, in Canada, far better than the States, but overall still not awesome. There was still a lot of comparisons drawn, um, particularly by male sportscasters, between female and male athletes and calling you know, female athletes, the next so-and-so male athlete, or talking about their choice to wear makeup on the field of play, or how their bodies looked in a certain outfit, um, or, or commenting on their male coaches and counterparts, you know? So um, I think that having a diversity of voices at the table is inherently going to shift the conversation um, to be more equal. And I think a really good way to do that is to have have women broadcasters. But I think we also need women um, in all aspects of media. We need women making some of the decisions around which headlines get published and which stories get covered and how those articles are written, um, and the effects that those are going to have on on the broader community. Um, so I don't. I think we need, you know, more uh, women applying for those jobs. But we also need a shift towards valuing coverage of women's sports and then i think sort of the newscasters and, and the coverage will follow from that
0: too for sure and, and that definitely leads uh well into my into my next question we were, we we're talking a bit off mic uh about oh from from my opinion or from my view i think that there's a bit of a notoriety gap between uh the genders in this country um i mean when putting this show together every every two weeks um i noticed that the, the first place my mind goes to is, uh, is, you know, who's making news and that sort of stuff, and often that leads to a male-dominated show where a lot of my guests are of the male gender. Um, I'm wondering if perhaps uh, the last points that you made, do you think that they figure anything into that, or do you believe that there's a notoriety gap at all?
1: Yeah, so certainly when it comes to the sport culture more broadly in Canada, like I said, absolutely. There's, there's a gender uh, disparity for sure. I mean, there's just, there's way more male athletes being covered. I'd say in the world of track and field uh, more specifically, I, I don't see that being hugely blatant. I think that, um, I, I think that because our sport is so easily quantifiable, there are easy ways to performances sort of speak for themselves. So for instance, again, if we use the examples of uh, the Olympics this summer, um, you know, I would say that Melissa Bishop is as much a household name in the world of athletics as Derek Druin or Damian Warner or Sean Sean Barber. Um, Same with, with Brianne, thanks. I think that she's just as much a household name because, um, because these women were up there either as medalists or medal contenders um, and, From the coverage I saw, they were receiving as much, you know, um, visibility as their male counterparts in the sport. Um, Perhaps that becomes less obvious as you trickle down a little to the people who aren't winning medals. Um, But I think that the reality is over the last year or so, what's been exciting for me is that we've actually seen quite a shift in terms of female athletes, maybe sort of recognizing that they haven't been given as much of a voice and, and kind of demanding that, demanding the seat at the table, but also the ability to speak up equally at that table. So obviously, Lanny is a huge example of that. Um, She's very vocal. She is unapologetic about it in a really Mm -hmm. wonderful way. She's thoughtful. She's educated. um, She makes really good points and doesn't, I mean, she's open to constructive criticism, but doesn't really give a rat's ass if you disagree (laughs) with her just because you're a bit of a jerk, you know? Um, And and I think one of the the other great examples that I saw was this fall, with the uh, world or yeah, the, the standards for the marathon being released um, right before the Toronto Marathon, I moderated a panel at the expo with all of our elite Canadian women who are who are participating um, at the Toronto Marathon. And these women, again, were thoughtful, intelligent, well-spoken um, athletes who had a lot to say about um, unfair standards about. Um, you know, disparities in coverage between men and women, about what they saw as being unfair standards, particularly for women in the marathon, and the need to encourage young women to um, come up and and have reason to believe that they can compete on national teams. So as much as I think coverage perhaps has been skewed towards men a little bit more in the past, I think that women have said enough is enough and are starting to kind of like stake their territory here. And it's been exciting to watch. So hopefully that continues.
0: I want to briefly chat about the idea of runners as role models. I mean, uh, I've I've heard the the argument uh, a bunch of times. You know, uh, some such and such a rock star in the media will say, "Look, just because I'm well known doesn't mean that I am a role model, and I shouldn't be that way." Uh, you see it in other sports as well. In the in the NFL, for sure, definitely in the NBA as well. I I think pretty much all of the big four have have mentioned it. The whole idea of runners as role models, though, are they and should they be? And uh, and how much influ- do you think that they could influence uh, seriously the growth of a sport?
1: So I think that um, rather than assuming that everyone in the sport should be should sort of rise to the occasion of role model, I think the biggest thing for us um as elites to recognize and to be mindful of, it's the fact that we have tremendous privilege in, in having the success and the visibility that we have. Um, And I do believe that there's a level of responsibility that comes with that. Um, I don't think that that necessarily means that every person in sport has to step up to the role of advocate, particularly if they don't, you know, feel especially passionate about whatever the topic of the day may be. Um, I think the most important thing for us all to keep in mind is that, because we have experienced some success and we've got a lot of support from our communities, we have a responsibility to be ambassadors to those communities and to our sport. So that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Absolutely. And in fact, that's something that I've spoken about in the past is the fact that um, often professional athletes have um, this kind of aura of infallibility around them. And that is a really important thing to break down. It's something I've tried to do in discussing my own uh, mental health issues because I think that um, we need to be real with who we are and how we present ourselves. Mm. Um, But I I do think that we need to be mindful of how we present. Um, I think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful. We need to be aware of the fact that there is media coverage, that there are cameras, that what we say is um, perhaps shared a little more widely than what the average person would say and that there's some level of accountability that comes with that. Um, Personally, I think that... There are a lot of issues that I feel really strongly about in this sport that uh, I want to be able to stand up and, and use the voice I've been given um, to sort of tackle. Um, and you know, again, you've seen Lanny do that. She and I are good friends, and we've gone on a few runs this week and talked about this a lot, actually. And um, I think, yeah, it's being being a role model can mean a lot of different things, um, but just being really mindful about how you're presenting and making sure that you're being authentic at all times. Um, You know, I think she'll be okay with me saying this, but one of the interesting things that happened with Lanny was after she um, released that photo of her uh, with her hair down, covering her breasts, but she's she's topless, um, holding the shoes. And if any of your listeners don't know that photo, um, Mm. they need to crawl out from under their rocks and go find (laughs) it because it's awesome. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, it's one of the most badass things I've seen this year and definitely worth a look and also worth a read. But when that got released, she got a ton of positive feedback um, from people in the sport, from women, from men, from parents. But she also, you know, got some negative feedback from people saying, um, you know, this is inappropriate. Um, This is hypersexual. This is not something I want my daughters to grow up aspiring to. And I think that, you know, some people could feel, could have been taken aback by that and said, "Hmm, I don't want to offend anyone here. I don't want to be a bad role model for for young girls. So I'm going to. Refrain from posting this, or I'm going to take it down. But Lanny saw it as a really great opportunity to counter that and say, you know what? If you see this as something sexualized, you've made that sexual because this is my body. It's an athlete's body. It's it's you know covered as much as it can be, um, but it's it's making a statement that's really important about owning your body and feeling um, empowered by it, and and not sort of debasing yourself to this hypersexualized view that others put on you. Um, So in her mind that was her being a good role model and I applaud her for that because I think by pushing those boundaries a little bit and and encouraging people to think outside the box a little bit about how can how can a female body be seen as something that is exactly that a female athlete body as opposed to um, a sexualized entity. Um, You know, I think that that is a level of responsibility that she felt was important that, that she rose to so. Um, role model can take on a lot of different meanings, sure. but um, I think that being authentic and, and being a good ambassador for yourself and your sport at all times is uh, is crucial.
0: I, I said right off the top that uh, that we've seen you pretty much everywhere uh, this year. You know, in, in print, uh, in video. But one place I did not see you, I don't think, was uh, was in Kingston at Fort Henry uh, on the cross country course. Um, I, do want, I, I do want to get your opinion on, uh, on really the, what appears to be progress in, in some areas and, uh, and stalemate in, in other areas as far as parity in the cross-country distances go.
1: So that's an interesting one. And I have spoken a lot about this with Leslie Sexton. If you haven't interviewed her, I highly recommend doing so because she is way more insightful around this than I am. Um but I know that that's been a big fight for her, um and that's a you know a cause that she's taken on to create gender parity in uh, in the distances in cross country and I think for the most part, I agree with that concept. Um, you know, I remember being a uh, grade nine student um, running cross country at ROPSA and thinking like, why am I running three k and the boys who are my age who quite frankly, most of whom hadn't gone through puberty yet are running 2K longer than me. You know What What makes anyone think that these guys are more capable of that or that that's more appropriate for them? Um, so I think it is a very outdated concept that men um, can and should or are, are more capable of, of handling longer distances uh, in cross-country. I think one of Leslie's big points, and this is important, is that the standards shouldn't necessarily be whatever the male distance is. So it's not necessarily that all cross-country distances across all ages should move up from the current women's distances to match the men's. I think it's more that the distances should be even whatever that distance is. Um, And the reason that that's important is because, as I mentioned earlier, we already have an issue retaining young girls and women in this sport. So again, as their bodies change, as social pressures change, we see a disproportionately high drop-off rate for female athletes in high school. And one of my concerns about the concept of increasing girls' distances to match the boys is that if we're already having a hard time retaining girls, I only see that being exacerbated if we suddenly demand that they run 2K more than they've been used to. Um, so I, I think that it's it's a, a bit of a tricky question to answer. And I think it is going to require a little more thought. I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, we need to do what's, what's in the best interest and what is wanted by the athletes themselves. So, you know, one thing I think would be great is if Athletics Canada, and then maybe the the provincial federations as well, um, held um, open polling to see what distances both boys and girls would like to run. Um, And I think that would be maybe a better indicator of where we should shift things because you know I, I, as, as a 1500 meter runner i'm going to be honest running 10k cross country isn't hugely appealing to me mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i also understand the argument that in order to encourage women to run long distance at the professional level and to encourage female you know uh distance runners on the road and marathoners we need to give them that exposure and that opportunity when they're younger so it's a complex issue but um i think leslie's on to a lot of really good things and and she would be able to speak a little more clearly to that than I can.
0: We're talking to Kate Van Buskirk right now. You can find her on Twitter at K8VBeast. Um, you know, one one of the cool things about sports is that it progress in sports cannot just be measured just by by numbers. You know, it's not just uh, Bannister's sub four-minute mile, um, but you can also measure it by a lot of the social changes as well, too. I mean, um, you know, when Jackie Robinson played uh, you know, in the MLB for the first time, or when, when the distance was moved up on the track from 3000 to 5,000 for women, uh, you know, those were just as big a moments as, you know, say Donovan Bailey breaking that record in, in 96. I kind of want to know as, as far as progress goes, you know, in, in your time in the sport, how has the sport, uh, progressed from a female perspective?
1: Yeah, that's a, a tough question. I think um, the, the biggest change that I've seen, again, is that I think that girls and women are being a little more um, vocal and demanding in terms of getting our needs and wants met in the sport. Um, again, I, I, I think about that panel that I moderated at the at the Waterfront Marathon, Um I think about some of the changes we've seen with, with, you know, the most recent issue of IRUN. I mean, that was a great platform. Um, I'm really grateful to Ben Kaplan for presenting that to us, but the entire edition is women. And the point is, you know, we have, women in sport, um, particularly in track and field in Canada have always, as I said, had insightful things to say. We've always um, asked for for a little more than we've received um, in terms of equality. And, more recently, I think we just have more and more women. It, it's a snowball effect, right? So you see mm-hmm. um, people being vocal. Lanny's a great example of that. And I think that also, as I talk about representation matters, that encourages other women to stand up and say, hey, I feel this way too. And I'm going to demand this as well. And I'm going to challenge the status quo. Um, and I'm going to sort of demand what I think is, is rightfully owed to me um, as an athlete who has every much a right to be here as my male counterparts. Um, I think that by asking for those things and by um, calling out irresponsible advertising and calling out um, inequality in in coverage, we're starting to make some good headway. Um, Still got a long way to go, but um, I think that continuing to be vocal and not afraid to be vocal and having that be celebrated by a number of different platforms is really important.
0: Well, we we've had this great chat today, um, you know about um, about what's happening as, as far as as women's sport goes and, and sport in general, really. Um, I do want to ask you though, as you mentioned, you are a fifteen hundred meter runner, a very a fairly well known one at that. I I do want to know what what are the plans for the new year? Um, you know, what are you hoping to achieve in the in the upcoming seasons?
1: Well, um, this is the first time in. About two and a half years that I have felt really healthy and fit um, and that is both a depressing and exciting thing to be able to say <laughs> um i've I've dealt with um, a number of injury and, and health issues for the last two years i was I was diagnosed a year ago with a, an autoimmune disease um, that's an inflammatory rheumatic uh, issue that um, creates inflammation in my joints and obviously not super ideal for an elite athlete but um we've really worked hard to get a lot of that under control and yeah, for the first time in three years, I've actually had a base fall to build off of and, um, did my first track workout in six months yesterday at York. And that felt really good. So, um, I'm feeling very optimistic moving into the new year. Um, I definitely want to do some indoor racing, which again, I haven't done since 2013 or 14. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and then the big goal always is to, um, is to make worlds. So I definitely want to be on that world championship team in London this summer. Um, I think as I've gotten older, though, I'm I'm turning 30 this coming year and it's such a cliche, but it's there for a reason. One of the things that I've really become acutely aware of, especially dealing with injury and and health problems, is that you have to do this because you love it. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to walk away. Um, And and some people walk away and it's the right thing for them. And I I don't have any disrespect for for that decision. To be quite frank, I've contemplated that a number of times in the last 24 months. But, um, I, yeah, I want to make worlds. I'm running around a PB. I want to win nationals, but above all of that, I want to really enjoy being an athlete and enjoy the process and, uh, just love running. So working on getting back to that.
0: You know, I had another athlete say that to me a little bit earlier, pretty much same words. Uh, and that was Emily yeah. Selak. and she's just had an explosive year. So I don't, I don't think you're far off on that one at all.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Um, and I just want to thank you for uh, for covering these issues. I think that you know i've I've got a five year old niece, and uh, and I think you know what what you're doing and what Irun is doing and and some of these other media um, outlets in providing a voice for women um, is is super important. and I'm really appreciative of that. Um, you know, my my niece, as I said, she just turned five, and her mom is awesome. My sister is one of the best moms in the world. And uh, everything we talk about with with my niece Charlotte is, how can she just really love being in her body and how can she love being healthy and active? And so um, we talk about how strong and how fast and how powerful she is. And, you know, you can I think you can talk about the way that bodies look as athletes where, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than watching someone who is really good at what they do excel in their sport. And there's fluidity and and grace and beauty to that. And that's worth celebrating. But I think that first and foremost, we talk about what we're capable of physically and, and the visual piece comes secondary. So, um, yeah, thanks for providing the platform. It's really important.
0: Well, I, I definitely look forward to, uh, to what we'll see out of you in, in 2017. And, uh, and I'd like to thank you a lot for, for coming on today and talking about these, these important issues. It's, uh, it's definitely very much appreciated.
1: Sure thing. Thanks again.
0: 2016 has been a year of ups and downs for Justin Knight. The up and comer was oh so close to getting an Olympic qualifying time this summer, but in the process also beat one of the greatest American distance runners of all time. This past fall he came second at NCAA cross beating out 3 time winner King Chez and in my opinion his upcoming track seasons really promised to be something special. We caught Justin in Syracuse this week. So I was uh, I was listening to um, I believe it was a it was a track and field podcast out of the United States, and they were talking with their guests, and uh, it was just before the NCAA cross country finals, and uh, and their guest was was talking a lot about what Coach Fox had had been doing with you, you know, as far as letting other people take the lead and uh, and giving them a bit of space so you could work on your kick in the last part of uh races and, and and just stuff like that that they had observed. What can you tell me about that?
2: Um I mean I'll I'll talk about training and then I'll talk about how it went over in in the races. So in training like I had a good group with me, I, I would uh be kind of separated into two groups and then Colin and I were like usually the main group and we'd work out together and then always in like the last mile or two our uh, coach Fox could say I can kind of press it a little more and like distance myself. So I think, like, that helped prepare me for, like, a finishing kick. And then um, the races, like, we never kind of went in with a game plan. Uh, Coach Fox, like, he trusts my ability to make, like, good judgments during the race. And he knows that um, we have an understanding that, you know, races never truly go the way that you want it to go. So you have to be able to adapt under any circumstances. So for the first race in Virginia, what happened was – one of the guys, I think from Campbell University, took the lead and he like he put a huge gap on us. And I just figured, you know what, let me stay comfortable. It's the first race of the year. And then I'll close the gap and finish strong. And then I ended up doing that. And then um, Wisconsin, I think, I just stayed in the middle pack and then made my move at the end. And then ACC's, actually, now that I think of it, it's kind of an ongoing trend of just like <laughs> sitting around and uh, kicking. But I think at NCAAs, like, I was fully prepared for... Um, you know the race just going out hard and like I, I don't think it's just like I don't think I'm one of those runners that just benefit from a sit and kick I think you know the way my training went this year I'm a I'm a runner that could go all out from the beginning or I'm a runner that can like sit and kick because I have a fast mile time but um yeah Coach Fox and I before the races we never really talked we never set out a plan we just talked about the multiple situations that could happen mm-hmm. and just made sure that I was prepared mentally to make a move if one of them happen.
0: So I, I guess I, I kind of find that that interesting where, um, you know, I basically explained where I had heard that from it. And it's almost like people are, are making up narratives for you at this point. They're they're speculating on, on what you're doing in the race, what, whether they be true or not. Um, and I kind of kind of would tie that in with the, with the amount of uh, attention that you're receiving on on places like like Let's Run for sure. How <laughs> how, are, how are you dealing with with this uh, sort of attention?
2: Oh man, I can tell you better than my freshman year. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> my freshman year was really cool just because you know you get a lot of attention in Canada, but then when you come to the American side, like you know Let's Run's a huge form and Flow Track and all those guys, and I was getting um, a bunch of attention just being fr- a freshman and trying to see who's going to be the top freshman. Hmm. And I kind of let it get to my head a little bit and start becoming a little bit more nervous. So my sophomore year, my junior year, like, I just try – like, I don't really check the forums anymore. Hmm. Um, If someone, like, shows me something funny about myself, like I heard uh, people were talking about my suspenders and my belt or something (laughs) like that at the NCAA banquet. Like, that was funny. But, um, yeah, forums are forums. It's just, like, a a matter of people's opinions. So – I know that I run for myself and I run just to benefit myself and the team. So it doesn't really matter what people are saying, if that makes sense.
0: So can you confirm or deny that, that you're not actually running any mileage? You're, you're just getting all your fitness from Jazzercise? Is, is that true or false? What would you say?
2: Well, I, oh, sorry. What was the question?
0: <laughs> are, you, are you getting all your fitness from Jazzercise with, with absolutely no uh, running mileage in there at all?
2: Um, I wouldn't say that. I, uh, I just happen to run like very low mileage. Like that's Mm. the truth. That's the fact of the matter. Um, this summer, like after Olympic trials, um, I didn't run more than like 50 minutes in the summer Mm. because I was like transitioning. out to like, um, build up again. And typically right now I'm like a 55, 60 sort of miles per week guy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't crush my, I don't run really fast either. I just, you know, go at a regular pace. It's just that um, the way that coach, and, and coach Fox and I look at mileage is that we just got to, you know, we got to build up strength, but we got to make sure that you're not hurting for the workouts because that's where you truly get better. So if that answers the question, I actually do do low mileage. It's not... That part is true. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, hey, man, it, it's it's definitely working for you. Uh, what what you're doing with Coach Fox? I guess we got off on a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk about NCAA finals. That that race was, um, unfortunately not really visible to a lot of people because it was on on track final. But for, I heard. For I'm those sorry. of us who are kind are kind of oh don't apologize, it's <laughs> it's not your fault. for those of us who are like kind of following along on on Twitter and on Let's Run. Um, you know, it was super exciting, you know, watching where you were, uh, you know, at different, at different miles and stuff like that. What was it like from your perspective running that NCAA final?
2: Um, from my perspective, it felt like very, very chill and very, um, I felt like the tempo that we were running at was like very relaxing. We obviously the first 5k, we weren't pushing it at all. Um, it was really cold and windy outside, so I knew I didn't want to go to the front right away. That was, I guess, a tactic that I used. And, um, yeah, so, like, the first 5K, I was just hanging out in the mid-pack, just making sure I wasn't too far from guys like Tiernan Chesrek and, like, um, Sean McGordy or um, Morgan McDonald, guys like that. Just made sure that I want to be, like, one second or two seconds behind them just so I can um, make a move when they make a move. And then at 5K to go, I think it kind of stretched out and... I believe at the 7K mark, that's mm-hmm. where Tiernan and I made our move. And then I kind of had like a flashback to uh, NCAA's sophomore year when Tiernan and Ches made the move the first time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't respond with them because I figured I could catch them later, which was my mistake. Mm-hmm. And within 0.5 seconds when Tiernan made his move, I just said, you know what? I got to do it. I got to respond. And if I hang on, I hang on. If I don't, I tried. Mm-hmm. So, uh then I, I was just cruising in Tiernan. He's like a really smart runner. I mean, he's an Olympian, so whenever you go to a world event like that, you come back more knowledgeable mm-hmm. of the sport and how to run. So uh, he used a pretty impressive tactic. And after watching the race, I, I truly did see it because I wasn't paying attention too much during the race, where he um he would pick up the pace and then slow it down and pick it up again, kind of wear to wear out my legs. Mm-hmm. and um on the final straightaway like he was just he's a monster so i just couldn't catch him at that time but um it was a good run and i was pretty happy
0: well i i do like that idea in cross country the idea of you know um how a course could really affect the results even even how the weather can really reflect the or can you know change the results would you say that maybe it would have worked out differently on a different course maybe could could Cesarek have won or maybe you could have won on,
2: on a different course um, um. I don't, I don't think so. I think the results for this race were like true to everyone. And that's like, I think Tiernan, on that day, he was the best guy on the field and I was the second best guy on the field that day. Um, I, I think you see it more in the top 10 guys, maybe top five, that when you're at that level where you're top five in the country for cross country or top 10, um, it doesn't really matter what type of course you're on, if it, if that makes sense. You know? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I think where being on a different course like louisville is a bit more flat and i think that would affect like maybe the guys 10 uh 10th place and above because you know there's a lot of my- milers like isaac yorks who he's not in the ncaa this year but he's a great example um he's like a miler but he was very he was talented in cross country and on a flatter course he's bound to race better but a, a course with like gradual hills that's where like true cross country ra- runners tend to um have their best showing mm-hmm. but I think like the top 10 they're kind of safe like if you're in the top 10 in cross country it really shouldn't matter what type of course you're running on
0: <laughs> for sure for sure yeah. I, I want to talk about the the third place guy um you might know him Edward Cheserac <laughs> King Ches yeah. uh you know there's a lot of talk about you know this maybe being his his fourth uh, NCAA cross country title. Uh, which would have been huge. He did end up coming in third, which is is definitely respectable. What do you think that this does to his legacy? Do you think that it will still be as big as it seems as it seems right now?
2: Yeah, I don't think it changes anything. Like what Ed has accomplished in the various ways he's went about accomplishing it, it's just it's something that like NCAA hasn't seen before, and. I don't think him losing cross country to guys like Tiernan and I really defeats everything that he's accomplished in the past. Um, he might have had an off day. We might have just outran him that day because we were all stronger than we were before. But um, just the stuff that he's done in the NCAA, like that's never been done before, um, with the dominance that he's, um, the do- amount of dominance that he's had in the race. Mm-hmm. So. I, I don't know. I feel like people in, I mean, the media, you you kind of have to make a story. So, like, people are quick to give their opinion or, you know, nobody would have ever expected that he would have lost that race. But I think he's still well-respected and he deserves, um, I don't know, he just deserves the amount of attention that he's got and the respect that he's got. And I don't think you can't win them all, you know. You're, mm. you're bound to lose eventually and I think – um He's gonna come back and during the indoor season just as strong, or if not better.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely, and uh, I I don't know I I've always really enjoyed watching him, so I I, I really hope that you're right on that. Um yeah. Taking a look at at the at the national cross country championships, the Canadian national national cross country championship. Um, you know it's it's been a it's been a really fun fun couple of years in Kingston so far, and there's two <laughs> more. Yeah. I, you know I,
2: I've been trying to get you up there and stuff. I know. I mean Kingston was really fun and I, I I think I went to the last cross country championship which was in Vancouver but um yeah I really wanted to come out especially cuz it was close to home um I was talking to the meet director and I was actually going to at least come and watch because that was the day I was heading back to Syracuse anyways and it was on the way but um definitely in the future cuz the the great thing about going to Syracuse is that you know my coach loves international competitions because he was you know, a competitive athlete himself, and he knows what it means to represent your country, so it's never, like, my coach telling me, oh, you probably shouldn't run this race, like, he always gives me that option or asks me if I want to do it, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, sometimes you just got to take a year off, I mean, not a year off, but, like, you got to take mm-hmm. some time off just to make sure that in the future when I do come back to represent my country or compete at nationals that I can compete at a, a high level and I'm not, like, in, uh, injury prone or anything.
0: I, I want to go back in time uh a little bit um to this past year speaking of national teams and stuff like that uh you made a really strong push for for the Olympics and uh yes. and you came so so close it was it was really heartbreaking to see oh, uh, yeah. I have to say <laughs> um obviously there's always lessons to be learned in that sort of stuff what what kind of lessons did you pick up uh you know from that push last summer
2: um I think I learned a lot about myself actually I think um, luckily, in track and field, I've been very blessed to have, um, I would say, kind of an easier path than other people have. I've adjusted to training and running well, and I haven't really dealt with injuries before. So I think things like for me to adjust and for me to get better has always came pretty easy for me. Um, I don't mean that in a way that I didn't never put hard work in, but like usually when I set a goal for myself, I always accomplished it sooner or later. And I think with me, you know, missing out on the standard twice by like one second, um, that at one point I didn't know how to deal with it because, you know, that's never really happened to me where I haven't been able to accomplish something or at least been so close to accomplishing it. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about myself, and I learned that you know things things won't always go your way, or you know, even though you're putting in all the hard work, sometimes you, you won't be able to accomplish the goals you set out for yourself, but You just got to put that in the past and then work on how to be better in the future. And, um, yeah, I think that's just what happened. And and the case was after NCAAs last year um, for track. I don't know if you watched the race, but I went from, Mm -hmm. like, third place with, like, 600 meters to go in the 5K to, like, 10th. I think I finished 10th place. But Mm -hmm. uh, long story short, I I dropped off really badly. And I, I thought, like, my season was done. I thought I had no energy left. And, you know, I had a great talk with Coach Fox, and like I said before, like, he's never the one to tell me I can't go for national teams or anything. So mm-hmm. I had a talk with him, and he said, you know, I can get you in a race with Galen Rupp in Portland and stuff. Um, so, you know, if you want to do it, if you feel like you're burnt out, like, you know, we can take a break. But if you want to do it, I can set this up for you. And at that point in time, it was, like, really rough for me because I had two bad showings, and I already didn't have a standard. But I told myself, you know what, let's just finish it. Let's try to end the season on a good note. Hmm. And then when we got to Portland, I was on on the phone with him, and he told me, um, you know, Justin, you've been focusing a a lot on a certain time, uh, which is the Olympic standard. And for this race, I just want you to forget about times, forget about qualifying for a team, forget about everything, all that pressure, and just focus on winning a race and he told me, like, that's something that I haven't been focusing on in a while. It's just been about um, times, and he kind of wanted me to get back into that mindset of just wanting to win, so I went into that race, and then, you know, you watch the video, and Galen (laughs) pulled away, and then there was just a moment where I was just like, let's go win this thing, and then I was able to miss the standard again by one second.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to know. I mean, like, Galen Rupp, you know, obviously obviously such a huge figure in, in our sport, uh, you know, especially in the States, but I would say internationally for sure as well too. Did you, did you talk to him after the race? You know, what, what would, what would that, a conversation like that sound like?
2: Uh, he was really friendly. I, I didn't talk to him for a while just because I think they were, they, they then went on to him and Senshowitz then went on to do like a, a little workout afterwards. So mm-hmm. I know he had to go, but, um, he congratulated me and like, I think he knew who I was. So he said like, you, you know, you've had a good season and everything and I don't know. He's just—he was a really nice guy. I'm not gonna pretend like my conversation took like 10 minutes or anything, but <laughs> uh, he wasn't salty whatsoever about losing the race. He was just like, you know, he just congratulated me. and Knew it was a big deal for myself. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah so
0: you know not to not to look behind too much I, I want to talk about your your indoor season coming up uh mm-hmm. you know what's what's that looking like you know what events are you are you definitely
2: focusing on and and what are some goals for you um yeah the indoor season's going to be fun actually I did my first workout yesterday uh, we did a little tempo and then some 300s on the track and I was feeling really good really uh, refreshed uh, not in my best shape but Considering I've been on break for two weeks, I think I'm like pretty fit right now, and um, I haven't talked too much with my coach about what the game plan is for certain meets. But I know I'll be focusing on like the mile and the three k again, and then um, our DMR team will run a couple races. So it's going to be really fun this year.
0: And following that in the spring, going into the summer, you know, are you going to try and make another you know world's uh, world team next year? You know, maybe maybe head to the to the world championship
2: yeah I think um all things going right i I don't like to think too far ahead uh, but I'm gonna focus on you know doing well at NCAA's for track and field and try to uh, win of course that's always the goal mm-hmm. and uh we're gonna run some fast times on the way and obviously I want them to be uh, world qualifying times and um if the season permits it and I'm healthy and i'm I can keep going I don't see why not. my coach has never been against it in the in the past so. It'll
0: be fun. Now NCAA championships and uh, even the world championships—they're they're, they're kind of seen as as B meets in in the southwestern Ontario world. Uh, tell me about an <laughs> A meet though, fifteen hundred meter nights. You know, uh, you oh, know, are, are have you have you been planning your peak around fifteen hundred meet meter <laughs> night? Is that something that you've talked to Coach Fox about yet?
2: I mean, who doesn't plan their their PR <laughs> times around fifteen hundred meter <laughs> night? I honestly miss that race, so it's one of my favorite races. Um, I, I don't see why not. If I could get back, I could get back if I have um all my qualifying standards. I I think Coach Fox would like me to get into a, a nice little fifteen hundred just to get uh ready for nationals. But um I think the plan is this year to get my standards out of the way earlier rather than chasing it as deep as I would as I did last year. Mm-hmm. So there is uh there's probably a possibility I might show up. Maybe <laughs> don't hold me to it, but I, uh, if I do everything I want to do, I will probably show up.
0: <laughs> well, worst yeah. comes to worst. I'd really like to see it on, on video this year. So maybe, maybe I'll talk to, to Steve race director, <laughs> Steve about it. And so, so at least you can, you can watch from from Syracuse and see what you're missing out on for sure.
2: Oh yeah. I watched it all last year. I was pretty jealous.
0: <laughs> for sure. For sure. He is Justin Knight. He came second place at uh, NCAA cross country this year. Uh, you know bit really big things on, on your horizon and uh and i appreciate you you taking the time to to speak for the third time on our show but hey yeah. it's it's always a, it's almost like an annual sort of thing i'd, oh, I'd make yeah. it i'd make it a quarterly thing
2: if yeah, i could I but <laughs> see, I don't see a problem with that i always like thanks michael i appreciate coming on your show and you know tracky you guys have been really nice to me so uh i always appreciate coming on
0: all right cheers man
2: all right thank you
0: Well, that wraps up another edition of The Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, Kate and Justin, to Tracky for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. If you want to find us online, we're on Twitter, at The Terminal Mile, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, and of course, tracky.ca. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but of course, all the best this holiday season, and try and stay safe out there. I'll leave you with this carol we wrote up a little earlier this week for our written column, Junk Mileage, found on tracky.ca, to celebrate you, the Canadian Winter Runner. Enjoy, and thanks for listening.
3: Well, it's snowing out there on our roadways and paths. So, if you're not careful, you'll land on your ass. But this frozen wasteland is where we must train. Cause this spore waits on no one, that much is plain. So, let us raise up a toast to all those winter runners. Grinding, and sliding, and fighting the cold Cause this cruel winter, it won't last forever And soon it will be racing season again Training in Florida, well that must be nice It would sure beat the hell, of this snow and this ice I can't feel my limbs in this cold arctic shock Yeah, maybe Rob Watson was right about that sock So let us raise up a toast All those winter runners Grinding and sliding and fighting the cold Cause this cruel winter won't last forever And soon it will be racing season again So let us raise up a toast All those winter runners Grinding and sliding And fighting the cold Cause this cruel winter It won't last forever And soon it will be Racing season again Well it's snowing out there On our
0: roadways and paths
3: So if you're not careful, you'll land on your ass.
0: This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio
3: production.